0: does 72 months. That's six years. No interest financing? Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. That's who. Just order by May 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good
2: afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 42 degrees outside. I, I will tell you, I want, to, I want to talk about a couple things I did yesterday and just how how blown away again I am at the the dedication, in particular, of, of the veteran community and the general public when it comes to veterans. Now, now here's what what was going on yesterday. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I made mention of this. Um, my my brother-in-law Ed passed away. He was a lawyer in Racine and just a, a just a, a great guy, a man of faith and a great family man and a great husband, and he was a great brother-in-law as well. He passed away late last week. He had a long-time battle with with cancer. And so yesterday afternoon was his burial. In his particular church, they do the burial first, and then tonight is, is actually the, the funeral. So yesterday afternoon, my wife and I went out to the, the gravesite, went out to the cemetery, and this was it, it was cold. I mean, the wind was blowing at like 30, 35 miles an hour. And it, I, I mean, I know that the temperature was like 45 degrees, My I guess the, I would have thought the wind chill was probably below freezing. But it was, it was just, this, it was really, really cold. Now, of course, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to do that and all. But as I've been telling people all week, last night, was the opening ceremonies for the moving wall which is out in frame park in in waukesha and the ceremonies were at six o'clock at night now in the afternoon it was really really cold the only thing i can say about that is it was cold it was windy but it was not raining so all right about four o'clock i'm getting ready to go out to the event at six o'clock and where i live Closer to the lake, it starts to rain. Well, I don't know what it's going to be like in in Waukesha, but, you know, I've made a commitment, so we're going out there. And the farther we get, the harder and harder it rains. So it's like 40 degrees, 20, 30 mile an hour winds, and it's pouring rain. And I'm saying to my wife... You know, th- nobody's going to be there. I mean, this is I mean, n- nobody is going to nobody's going to be there. Nobody's going to come out in, in these type of, of conditions. So we we end up getting there. We got there about five thirty when we were supposed to. It, it is pouring rain. I mean, and and it's a cold rain. Noah, get ready to build a boat and stuff like that. And I I am just blown away because there's hundreds and hundreds of people there. It's just, it is just amazing. The turnout last night was just absolutely incredible. And the the ceremony, it was about an hour-long ceremony we had. was there with the mayor of the city of Waukesha, Sean Riley, and Paul Farrow, the county executive, and a, a number of people from veterans groups. And we did the whole thing, and, and nobody... Nobody complained. People were sitting in the audience, and they—they they all had, you know, the umbrellas that were on. We were up on the the state, the the center of the amphitheater that was not covered. There's actually a photo, and I, I think at the end of this, I think if, at the end of this, it was uh, Waukesha County Executive Paul Farrow's idea to take this because I think he knows that that at some point in time he's going to come to me and want me to pay blackmail money because. I, I don't know that I've ever been more wet in my life. I mean, I just I am soaked and I look like a drowned rat and stuff like that. And Paul says, ah, "I just got a picture of standing here." And I, I haven't seen the picture yet, but it. But I mean, I kept thinking, and, and of course, this was the attitude that that the veterans had. I mean, a lot of people who served in Vietnam and their attitude was, "Well, look, if we were in Vietnam, we know what it's like to be wet." And I, I thought, you know, that's ex- that's exactly right. No complaints at all. I'm out there for an hour. These guys were out there for days and weeks at a time, and it was just an amazing turnout. The folks at the city of Waukesha did an absolutely tremendous job. So the moving wall, if you are not familiar with this, the, the moving wall is a half-size replica, but it's still really big, half-size replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the wall that you find in Washington, D.C. And they, they've got it set up in Frame Park, and it's going to be there through Memorial Day. And it, it's there's... if. It, you go out there. I'm going to post some pictures on that my wife took. That uh, I'm going to put them up on my Twitter account. But they, they've got just flag after flag after flag, and we, we had a wreath laying ceremony, and they had a bagpiper, and they had an honor guard. It was just absolutely amazing, and they've done this. In a very, very first class fashion. In addition, they've got this big tent. So just like with the wall, if there's a name that you want to find, you know, you, you can go and they'll have, they have all these volunteers that will help you do that. The, the moving wall, like I say, it's going to be there through the weekend. And my, my guess is if we had the number of people that we had turn out yesterday, um, once the weather gets a little bit nicer and it is going to get a little bit nicer, there, there's going to be more and more people that get out there. So it's, it was, it was my honor, and I say that legitimately, it was my honor to be with so many of you last night. I take my hat off to you for coming out and supporting the different Vietnam veterans groups. Got to see a number of friends of mine from over the years, including some friends that I hadn't seen for, for quite a while. But if you're looking for something Memorial Day related to do this weekend, and I know some communities are having Memorial Day pla- parades, others have canceled their Memorial Day parades, but if you're looking for something to do, trust me, it, it's worth going out to Frame Park, which is in downtown Waukesha, and, and taking a few minutes and going through the, the moving wall. And if you have children or grandchildren, I, I think the, for as time goes on, I think the Vietnam War becomes one of these things that sort of recedes in memory. And I think there's a lot of young people, I mean, it was such a dominant Part of, of people's lives, if you grew up and you were a child of the 60s or the 70s. But now I, th- I think a lot of people, it, it's just, it, it's in the history books. Oh, we got the Revolutionary War, we got the War of 1812, and yes, there was the Vietnam War. This, it's a great teaching opportunity. So if you have some time this weekend, and like I say, after we get past today, it's supposed to get drier, it's supposed to get warmer. Um, T- take a few minutes, drive out there, take your kids, take your grandkids. Um There's a number of volunteers out there. It- it's a great learning opportunity. It's a great teaching opportunity, but it's also incredibly moving. And I've said this before. I, I find every time I have been to the Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington, D.C., and it's a lot, I-, I never leave without being incredibly moved. And you get the same sense when you see the moving wall. So the moving walls in Frame Park all this weekend. Go on out and give it a chance. And once again, thanks to the organizers. Did an absolutely outstanding job and thanks to everybody for coming out under some very, very difficult Conditions there, And again, for, for my friend, County Executive Paul Farrow, um, how, how much for that picture? Because I can only imagine, my, my wife came up to me afterwards and she said, I've never seen anybody as wet as you are. And it's just like, well, if the Vietnam veterans, like I say, if, they, if everybody else could go through it, I can go through it for an hour. So it was it was actually a very, very good time. And I appreciate being invited to participate in it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there are a couple of Milwaukee County officials who are questioning Whether or not the city should lift its mask mandate, I'll tell you why and we'll discuss. Stick around. Producer Jordan, who's filling in for Gru, who's a little bit under the weather. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, I mean, here it is. It is the end of May. It is Memorial Day weekend, and it's 41 degrees at our studio, which is five degrees lower than what the low was supposed to be. And that does not include the wind chill and just the the generally icky conditions that are out there. I know a lot of people say, Jeff, that Memorial Day is the official start of summer. (laughs) <laughs> but it's feeling like it's the official start of winner. Well, it, it, it is. Um, you know, it's interesting. I have a, I have a friend who has a place in Florida, and he's been down there since last November. His wife came back last month, and, and he was debating when he had some other stuff to take care of and all. And, and I, I called him yesterday. It was kind of up in the air as to when he was going to come back. And I called him yesterday. I said, just so you know... Uh, it's it's forty degrees. It's pouring rain here, and it's a cold rain. And he said, "Yeah." He said, "I wish you would have told me that two days ago because I just left. I'm here. Ha- I'm in Kentucky now. I'm driving back." And I said, "Well, you're, you're going to enjoy what you're coming back to." Well, in, in fairness, though, it, it just shows how unpredictable Wisconsin weather is because looking at the long term forecast, today is a mess. Today is just a mess, but it's not. It's not. We're not going to get the rain that we got yesterday. Um, tomorrow, the high 58, Sunday 63, and then starting Monday, you know, the high in the upper 60s and the 70s. Much more, much more typical. But yeah, the last couple days, no, no question about it. There's not enough, there's not enough tease in Rotten to describe how the weather has been. All right. Uh, the city of Milwaukee mask mandate which has been put in place because they declared a health emergency last summer. It is set to expire on June 1st, which would be Tuesday. So that means there'll be no more mask mandate, no outdoor mask mandate, no indoor mask mandate. Local businesses can of course still require people to wear masks, but my guess is most aren't going to do it. Most are going to say, okay, it's going to be optional. Well, interestingly, um, there, there's get there's some blowback on this decision. Um, I'm looking at a story in the local newspaper. One of the aldermen, Marina Dmitrievic, who was, first of all, she was on the county board before, she chairs the city's Public Safety and Health Committee, and she was very instrumental in having the mask mandate put into effect last summer. Um, she's, she's questioning the decision to lift the mask mandate, and the reason is, according to the journal Sentinel, Given the lagging vaccination rates among black residents. Here's what she says. As the health order is rescinded and there is no mask mandate in place, there are some places that could have people maskless and 85 80 percent of those maskless people are unvaccinated. In Milwaukee County, about 44 percent of white residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine compared to 24 percent of black residents and 33 percent of Hispanic residents, according to data from the State Department of Health Services. And, of course, we, we know that the, the black and Hispanic communities ha- have have really been kind of devastated by this virus as it swept through Milwaukee County. And so um, the, the, the question becomes, even though vaccines are available and even though anybody who wants a vaccine can pretty much get one, I mean, that's really now the standard, there are a lot of people particularly people in some communities in the city of Milwaukee who have made the decision not to get vaccinated for for whatever reason. They've decided not to get vaccinated or they just haven't taken the time to get vaccinated or they don't know they can get vaccinated. But but there is definitely a lag. So this elected official is saying, is this the best time to drop the mask mandates, even though vaccines are available and even though we know vaccines work? But but but. Lots of people still haven't taken advantage of that, particularly in in certain uh, communities that have a disproportionate number of people of color. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I I am a guy who got vaccinated as soon as I can. If you're a regular listener, you know that. I also appreciate that there are going to be some people who who make the just decide that they're not going to get vaccinated. That that's the decision they've made. And you can talk yourself till you're blue in the face and, and they're not going to do it. O- OK, I understand that. guess I look at this and say at a certain point, once vaccines are readily available like they are now, if people make the decision not to get vaccinated for whatever reason, that then is on them. And from a perspective of government policy or a public health emergency, given that the COVID numbers are going down, given that the number of cases is going down, given that the number of deaths is dropping dramatically, given that the number of hospitalizations is going down, and given the fact that vaccines are readily available, seems to me it's time to drop the mandate. And if in certain communities... There are people who have made the decision not to get the vaccine. The answer isn't to not drop the mask mandate. It is instead to try to do more outreach, more education, more whatever, to convince people to take care of the situation and get themselves vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That's the accident mortgage talk and text line. Is the fact that large groups of people, significant segments actually of the community, have for whatever reason not chosen not to get vaccinated yet, is that a justification for not lifting the mask mandate? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620, we discuss. See, See, to me, the question is, if the way out of a public health emergency is the availability of vaccines, once vaccines, as they are now, have been available and have been readily available for quite a while, At some point in time, you have to say, look, if folks are making a decision for whatever reason that they're not going to get vaccinated, well, all right, you you can't hold everybody else up and say, OK, we can't drop a mask rule, for example, because a certain segment of the population declines to get vaccinated, refuses to get vaccinated, whatever that is, because otherwise you, you can make the argument that you're never going to, uh you know, drop these health emergency situations. And I, I think this is where it is in the city of Milwaukee now that you've you've got the vaccines. They are available. I appreciate that there are some people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated at this point in time, but I don't think that means that the rest of the people then have to quote-unquote suffer by having to wear masks when people make a voluntary decision that they're not going to get vaccinated. James in Bayview. James, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hey, guys. How are you doing?
2: Hi. What do you think?
3: You know, I've been working in restaurants throughout this entire thing. I've been vaccinated. Everyone's been vaccinated. Um, You know, they talk about people not being educated enough, but It's been a year and a half at this point. I think people are as educated as they're going to be. And I don't think that we should, you know, continue to be punished in our industry because people aren't educated enough, because people aren't getting vaccines. I think it's just time to start lifting stuff.
2: Yeah, James. And I, and I, I see I don't see it as by educated. I don't mean to imply that people are dumb. That's that's not it. But but. I, I, when we talk about education, it's the value of the it's the value of the vaccine. But you're right. I mean, we've been talking for for over a year now, you know, going on a year and a half. Everybody's been saying, well, we've got to have the rush to develop this vaccine. That is the way out of it. And, and the vaccine has been available to people for months. Now, again, I'm not this is not an argument. If somebody ha- and I, I know some really smart people out there who've made the decision, they're going they choose not to get vaccinated. Now, to me. I, that w- that wasn't the right decision to me but they they've made that decision okay that that's fine you've made that decision you you then live with the consequences that means that maybe you're you're more likely to get covid than somebody who's been vaccinated but that's the decision that you have made once everybody has the ch- the chance and the opportunity to get that vaccine some point in time it seems to me that you're you're then on your own that is the risk that you are taking when you make the decision not to get vaccinated and that that's fine but at this point in time, we got to open up the city. We've got to let the brewers go back to 100 percent capacity. We've got to let bars and restaurants go up to 100 percent capacity. We've got to drop the mask mandates because, well, and maybe if maybe, maybe, maybe that's an incentive for other people then to, to go out and and to get themselves vaccinated. The Miracle League of Milwaukee is celebrating its 10th anniversary. That means an entire decade of bringing together children of all abilities to play organized baseball. The Miracle League believes everyone deserves a chance to play our national pastime, but they can't do it without the support of the community. That's where you come in. To find out how you can support this great local organization, go to WTMJ.com slash CARES or text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 855-616-1620. WTMJ CARES, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. I should mention today, a lot of people wanted to weigh in on that last topic and lots of text, but because... My show was preempted yesterday and I'm off for Memorial Day. There's a lot of different things that I wanna talk to you about. They kind of run the the gambit on politics and some fun stuff and some real life issues and things like that. So we're going to be moving through topics more quickly than usual on today's program. All right, we've talked about, we were talking about the vaccinations. Uh, Employers in general are encouraging people to get vaccinated. Most employers are not saying get vaccinated or lose your job. Generally speaking, I think most employers have been trying to give employees an incentive to get vaccinated. Maybe it's maybe it's time off, maybe it's a cash incentive, maybe it's a gift card. In some cases, it it's the way you perform your, your job. For example, there's a number of businesses around there that say, okay, here, here's the deal. If you if you want to like be on the floor. If you want to if you're a cashier, for example, in a grocery store and you don't want to sit there with that mask on your face, the entire, you know, your entire you know, shift, what you show us proof that you're vaccinated. And if you show us proof that you're vaccinated, you, that you can take off the mask if you choose to do that. So that's that's kind of the incentive. They're not saying you have to be vaccinated, but they are saying if you're not vaccinated, you've got to wear the mask. All right. So that's how a lot of them have been doing it. Not all employers, which brings me to the story of a woman named Melissa Fisher. Um, she works down in Chicago. She works at an assisted living and memory care facility based by, um, run by a, a Chicago company. Um, in her job, what she does is she deals with She deals with with residents and again, it's assisted living and it's memory care. So you're you're talking about um, people who are arguably physically the most vulnerable that are there, you know, people with presumably Alzheimer's or again, an assisted living. So her company says, look, here's the deal because of the nature of people that you're dealing with. And, and her job is to help the residents with daily tasks like dressing and going to the bathroom and things like that. what what her employer says is, because of the people that you are dealing with, their, their particular vulnerabilities, et cetera, you, you have to get vaccinated. You know you're, you're working closely with elderly and vulnerable patients, and you know, we we don't want you, um, to pose a, a risk to, to these people that you're going to be dealing with. So if you want your job, you, you have to be vaccinated. Now she says, she says, wait a minute. She says, I, I belong to a, a particular church. Um, she is an apostolic holiness Christian. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but that's what she is. And um, her religion um, says you, you, you don't get these, these, you don't get these shots. And so what happens is she comes in, she gets a letter with her, pa- from her pastor, explaining that, you know, it's, it's essentially against her religious beliefs to be vaccinated. Ployer says, well, that's all well and good, but sorry, um, we, it, it doesn't make any difference. You, you have two choices. You can either get vaccinated or you will, in fact, be terminated. She says, well, I don't want to get vaccinated because, again, it's against my religious beliefs. Here's a letter from my pastor. The employer says, we appreciate that. Sorry, but if you're not going to be vaccinated because you are of the nature of the people you are dealing with in this healthcare environment, you're either vaccinated or you're out of work. She says, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated. They say, fine, Monday is your last day. You're out of work. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, a number of employers again, they're doing voluntary sort of stuff. In this particular case, the lady, she's not a server at a restaurant. She's not a salesperson for a radio corporation. She's not an insurance salesman. She's not even a cashier at at a grocery store or hardware store. She works in the healthcare industry, and she works with, and again, people in assisted living and memory care. So, 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I understand what I'm about to say is perhaps controversial, and I understand that you might disagree with me on this, but in this particular context, I think, particularly the healthcare context, and particularly given that she is dealing with vulnerable people, I do not think the employer is being unreasonable in saying, look you you you've got to you got to get vaccinated just like in the healthcare industry around here it has not been uncommon for employers to say to their nurses you you to say to doctors you've got to get the you got to get the flu shot now in this particular case that the lady did not come in and present evidence saying that if she gets the vaccine it would it would endanger her life that she wasn't making the argument that there's medical reason against it she was saying this would violate my religious beliefs i appreciate her perspective and i I appreciate the sincerity of her beliefs at the same time i think the employer has the right to say that's all well and good um maybe maybe you need to find another place to work 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line is the healthcare employer in this context Are they going too far by requiring the woman to get a vaccination? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, the the woman, um, she is, sorry, it's called an apostolic holiness Christian. And again, I I don't know the particulars of that that religion. Her pastor says uh, for her it is a violation of her religion to get vaccinated All right. Uh, The employer says, "Look, you you work in the healthcare field. You you know you work in a memory unit with people who have Alzheimer's. You work with people in assisted living. Sorry, you know we think that uh, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to keep COVID out of our facility. You have two choices. You can either get vaccinated." or you you cannot work here, and she says, well, I don't think that that's right, Um, so that's it, you know, Jeff, um, although I believe the employer has the right, I could see this going to higher courts, this, there is a religious viewpoint, and I believe in violation of First Amendment rights, I do not believe an employer or government should have this type of power, let me make something real clear about that, though, that the First Amendment, Applies to government action. First Amendment says the government shall do nothing to, uh, you know, to deprive people, et cetera, et cetera. That the First Amendment doesn't apply to, you know, individual private employers as a general rule. I mean, you have a freedom of speech. All right. But if you're if you decide that you're going to go and like blast your employer, for example, you know, call a news conference and talk about how your employer is an awful employer. You know, don't be surprised if your employer you you got the right to do it, but don't be surprised if there's not some repercussion. So the First Amendment, it's that applies to government action. This isn't the government. This is the private employer. Now, there might be different legal issues that you can raise and things like that. But that's what we're discussing. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, under these circumstances especially given the health care hook i mean i think the employer has every right to say you're going to do this and if you don't that's fine just go go work somewhere else all right let's start with katie in burlington hi katie
4: hi there um i don't want to force anyone to get any vaccination they don't want to however in this specific context i feel the employers within their right and i look at it this way many religions whether you're Jewish or Catholic or, or, you know, Pentecostal or whatever, there are certain professions and or, um, you know, activities that are going to go in conflict with your religious beliefs, and you choose not to participate in those. So if you have a woman here who I presume has never had a vaccination, then why would she go into a field that is, is has a vulnerable population, that is prone to pick up, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Issues and diseases and what not that are communicable. It makes no sense, the onus is on her. If you are a part of a religion that does not believe in vaccinations, why would you go into health fields with a vulnerable population, mm-hmm. it makes well, no sense.
2: Well, right, and especially in a case where the, the rule is, I think you can make a strong argument that it, it is rationally related to the, the particular purpose. In this case, it, they're, they're not telling the woman she can't practice a religion, but they're saying, look, we we need you to be vaccinated because of the type of people you're, you're dealing with, so that there's a rational connection between what the employer is asking her to do and and the job because they, they don't want people getting sick in the healthcare industry.
4: Precisely. She has, has had the choice and made the choice to go into this profession, and God bless her for doing so. Right. But unfortunately you're not whether it's your religious beliefs or certain other things, there are certain people that should not be in certain professions.
2: Um thanks. For, well, you know, you you raise an interesting point, Katie, about how let's say I mean let, let's say I'm I'm far from an expert in Orthodox Judaism, but let's say it's one of these situations where you know you you are practicing Orthodox Jew and you are told that you have to respect the Sabbath. So that means from like sundown on Friday till sundown on on Saturday, you 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 aren't supposed to work. You're you know you're not supposed to drive in cars. All the, those different sorts of of things, and and you you go to work in an industry. Where uh, I don't know Friday nights and, and Saturday mornings, for example, those are the big times in the industry. And you go in and you say to your employer, "Look, I, I I want you to accommodate me." And and there there are obligations under the law that you know you have to. Employers have to, to the extent possible, you know, create accommodations. But maybe it's an industry where that it's just not possible to to accommodate people. Many you know many times it is. It's like okay, well we're not going to schedule you on, on Friday night. That you know you're going to have to work Tuesdays and Wednesdays instead, or you're. Have to work every Saturday. In many cases, occasions they're able to accommodate you. But in this particular situation, I, I don't see how you you accommodate someone because the nature of her job is that she's going to be dealing with these vulnerable patients. I mean, that's that that that's what she does on a daily basis. Let's talk to um, Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you, sir? Real well, thank you. What do you think?
3: Well, I, I have empathy. For the woman, I think that perhaps she's made a courageous decision. Uh, but I think in light of uh, the the total circumstances, I, I think that that's the employer's right to, to to make that decision. And thank you for your participation last night, by the way.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. You were out there, Bob. Great. No, no, no. Oh, OK. I'm
3: going
2: to be honest with you, I was not. Okay, well, but if you can get out there to to see the moving wall sometime this weekend, okay, I'll I'll give you a pass for not being in the driving rain and the 40-degree weather and the 30-mile-an-hour winds, but a lot of people were. I, I
3: will, and I'm a Vietnam vet, Absolutely. so I have no excuses.
2: No, you, you have plenty. you thank you for your service. I, I appreciate that, and I would be the last one to I would be the last one to to throw any sort of verbal stones at, at, at any Vietnam veteran. I'm just saying that it was a uh, it, it's it's wonderful. We're talking about the the moving wall that's out of Frame Park and Waukesha, and the opening ceremonies were last night. If you were just tuning in, but uh, if you're looking for something to do for Memorial Day, go out and check it out. Gianni and Montello, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good
3: afternoon, Jeff. My goodness, uh, what a cold front! Huh? Hey, listen. Um, if she's working, your your, your story is from next me. And if you're working in this industry, you know she's probably an angel um, to be mm-hmm. involved in this. Oh, sure. It, it really takes a sacrifice, and, and she's a Christian. Um, but I, I'm wondering um, if she's not putting herself in in front of her patients. I mean, they. You know, when you work in in in, a, in any healthcare facility, particularly with with the with the aged, um, these people are. are are very susceptible to um, to complications uh, pulmonary complications uh, lung problems uh, this this virus if they were to contract it, they would probably die so th- there 's a great irony here jeff and I, I think that really the employer has it right. My mother used to volunteer at King uh, a great deal and um, of course, um, she's not with us any longer. But uh, I, I would, of course, have have her vaccinated. She would she would she would have no problem with that because she's working around patients. That um, should right. they contract the virus, uh, it's it's the outcome isn't going to be good.
2: Yeah, no, John. You know, th- this has been the same rationale. Now, some people are saying, "Well, how 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 has she handled this in the past with flu shots?" And I I don't know. I don't know that they have mandated flu shots. Now, again, in some some industries and some businesses and some uh, places around here, medical providers, that, that's the rule. You, you ha- If you have any interaction at all with patients, you've got to go get a flu shot. I, I don't know that this employer has done that. The flu is different than COVID. And again, I, you you can make arguments one way or the other. Should they do this? Uh, some people are suggesting, well, maybe they can just outfit her in PPE. I, I don't know how practical that is under the circumstances, but th- this is a, this is, it's a difficult sort of situation. And I don't Question her legitimately held religious beliefs, but sometimes you you have to make that decision. And if the employer says, "Look, this is what we want you to do, and this is why we want you to do it," you you've, you've got two choices. You can say, "Okay, I'm going to do it," or I, I'm going to I'm going to take my services and I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to find a job where the employer isn't going to push that. That, that's, that's her right and it's the way it works and I think that's what should happen here. Now again, as we started off with this conversation, most employers uh, in this country and in this area our area are, aren't aren't mandating this for example i know there's a number of hospital facilities around here who aren't mandating it they, they are strongly encouraging it but they're not saying you have to do this or you you forfeit your job in this particular case the employers made that decision to go this route and um, i think she has a decision to make which is does she want to keep working there back with more in just a minute All right. Sunday. know what happens Memorial Day, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, the big event, Jordan is looking at me blankly. The Indy 500. The Indy 500 is going to be run on on Sunday. The it they have they have sold it out. Now there's there's an asterisk with this. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway is going to host one hundred and thirty five thousand racing fans. It, it is sold out. Now sold out is relative because it seats actually like about two hundred and fifty thousand, maybe even more than that. You know, you could that, that's that's less than half capacity is the numbers I'm seeing. But because of, of COVID, because of the pandemic, because of rules in the state of Indiana and in Indianapolis, they're they're capping attendance at one hundred and thirty five thousand people. But that's still a boatload of people. And my guess is that's probably going to be the largest outdoor gathering we've had since the pandemic. I'm willing to be corrected by that, but I I can't think of any that's been been larger than that. But you got 135,000 people. Tickets are sold out. I will tell you, my sense is if they had if they had been allowed to sell 250,000 tickets, they would have sold 250,000 tickets. I, I think clearly from the perspective of of people, you know, uh, being shut in during the pandemic and stuff, that's that that that's gone. I think people are ready, ready or not, they're ready to resume their lives. And you're going to see the first big, massive gathering this weekend at the Indy 500. My guess is more massive gatherings will, fo- will follow. And that's probably going to be good news for a lot of outdoor events around here, scheduling the summer, most notably State Fair first. Back with more in just a couple minutes.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: You know, Melissa, there, I, I mentioned earlier, India 500 is going on this week, and they're expecting 135,000 people, which I think will probably be the largest sporting event attendance wise in the country since the, the pandemic occurred. And that's... And, and that's only about 40% capacity. Somebody else, one of our texters was saying, well, don't forget in Charlotte, they're they're doing the Coca-Cola 600, which is a big NASCAR race, and that's going to be on Sunday as well. Yeah, that's going to... The track there accommodates 95,000 fans, and they're letting apparently a crowd of 50,000 or so in. So a couple of big events that are going to be coming on.
0: Huge events, but those are also outside, too. Right. So that, that makes people feel a little bit more comfortable.
2: Okay, so let me ask you, there, there's... In the world of pop culture, there is a, a big event that, that actually, it started yesterday. It's something that people had been waiting for for years and years, and it finally came to pass, and it became something that people could watch start starting yesterday, and it's one of these things where I just, I understand a lot of people are going to watch it, and I have no interest in it. It's the Friends Reunion.
0: Oh yeah, that's on, H- but that's on it's like, HBO, HBO Max. Max. Yeah, HBO Max. We don't have yeah. that. So well, right,
2: but it's it's for 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 people who aren't familiar with that. I mean, Friends, of course, was this incredibly popular show in the nineteen nineties, and it it sort of helped vault Jennifer Aniston into sort of su- superstardom, and you know a number of the other people have gone on. Nobody's kind of been able to duplicate the the stuff that they had the the success they had on friends but there's been this we want a friends reunion we want a friends reunion and of course so they they reunited for hbo max so you need to have that streaming service to do it and i've been reading i've been reading all the reviews about it and generally the reviews and i i take reviewers with a grain of salt because it's you know i i think a lot of times they tell you what you should like instead of what really people like but and, and the reviews have been kind of bleh but it's one of these things where I have absolutely no interest in it. You have no interest? None at all. Were you
0: a big friend? No. Yeah, but Fran is a big friend. My 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 wife wife is is a
2: huge, my wife and a number of her friends, they know all the episodes by heart. The only reason I even know much about friends is because, Typically, Fran will go to bed before I will, and she'll, it, you know, friends. Friends is on all the time. Yes. It seems to me it's on now. It's on at night, and she'll she'll have she'll fall asleep with the with the thing on. So I'll come in, and I, I swear, I mean, they got like two hundred episodes of the thing. I swear, I, it's the same five episodes all the time. <laughs> I, I just saw this one, and I just you saw know, it a week ago. It's
0: actually a nice show to fall asleep to because it's funny, it's light, it, jovial. It's not like a crime drama right, that you're right, falling yeah. asleep to.
2: Yeah, but but so but I, I've seen it, but but she loves it, and a number. Of her friends love it, and it's just, I just kind of, I, I freely admit, I, I just don't get it. And I, I, it's right, it's harmless enough, but would I go out of my way to watch the friends reunion? I don't think so.
0: Yeah. I, I guess the cool part is that all of the original cast members are there, so that's like a huge thing, and the fact that they decided to do this. I don't know, I, I think now, like after the pandemic, it's kind of like a, a, a bright thing for people to look forward to. Um, but you know, it's kinda of like Seinfeld. Like I liked it, but if there was a reunion, I wouldn't be excited about it. Yeah. Like it's one of those shows that right.
2: it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's not, got its it's got its it's, it's sort of got its time niche, capsule yeah. and stuff. But yeah, okay. So so you're not gonna be signing up for HBO Max just for the opportunity to see the friends reunion? No. Me neither. Okay. Me neither. <laughs> All right. Speaking of of reunions of sorts, and this time not between friends, there is a well. There's a you know wedding match that's really developed over the course of the last 48 hours between former President Donald Trump and with former Congressman, former House Speaker Paul Ryan. If you haven't been following the story, uh, Paul Ryan gave a speech last night at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. And the, the, the basic gist of the speech was that the Republican Party, if it is going to grow, what it needs to be, well, you know, less about – a cult of personality, and more about ideas. I mean, for example, here's what he said. Once again, we conservatives find ourselves at a crossroad. Here's one reality we will have to face. If the conservative cause depends on the populist appeal of one personality or on second-rate imitations, we're not going anywhere. All right? So, you know, and and he went on to, I mean, uh, praise a number of the things that President Trump accomplished while he was president, um, you know, he, he says, look, you know, voters want leaders who so are going to show independence and, and metal. But, you know, he's talked about how, look, if, if this party is going to grow, you have to be consistent with the conservative ideals and as opposed to just becoming a cult of personality. So that, that's clearly, even though he doesn't mention Donald Trump by name, that's clearly well, I, I comment on on Trump's involvement with the party, saying, "Look, we 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 got to be bigger than any one individual." And I think what he's kind of saying is, in next year, you know, when you have these primaries and stuff, it, if if the choice is, gee, who can be the the most Trump like copy of Donald Trump, the the imitation of Trump, th- this this party is not going to grow, all right? And that's, and I I think that's kind of a benign. Way of saying things. He's not like saying, oh, Donald Trump destroyed the party, but he's saying, look, this is, this is what the future is. Well, President Trump apparently did not like those remarks. Um, he issued today, he issued a statement based on, you know, what Paul Ryan said in his speech. Here's what he said Paul Ryan has been a curse to the Republican Party. He has no clue as to what needs to be done for our country, was a weak and ineffective leader, and spends all his time fighting Republicans as opposed to Democrats who are destroying our country. All right, 855-616-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Let's tee this up, it's the Friday before Memorial Day, but let's talk a little bit of politics. Who's right and who's wrong Paul ryan says look we, we we can't become a cult of personality you know we it, it can't be who's the most trump like We have to go back to our ideals, our principles, and and that's how you grow the party. Donald Trump says. Paul Ryan, he's a curse, no clue what needs to be done, weak and ineffective leader. Um, he spends all his time fighting Republicans as opposed to Democrats who are destroying our country. 855-616-1620, that is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. I think moving forward, no disrespect intended to former President Trump, but I think people should be listening to Paul Ryan because, I tell you, I've known Paul Ryan for decades my sense has always been that Paul Ryan is the smartest guy in most rooms he walks into, and I don't think this is any I don't think it's any different on this one. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who's right, who's wrong, we discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See I, I was a Ronald Reagan Republican. And, and and Ronald Reagan clearly had a lot of mass appeal people people flocked to Reagan because of his personality but but Reagan it wasn't a cult of personality Reagan had, had various principles um that that he adhered to now the knock on him was well he wasn't that smart etc cetera, etc cetera. but no he had various principles that that guided decisions that he made so it wasn't really kind of a cult of personality um I think you know Donald Trump clearly over big big personality and clearly that was attractive to some people. I, I don't know whether there was a consistent philosophy Certainly it wasn't the, the type of conservatism that I think a lot of people grew up with. So Paul Ryan is saying, look, we've got to be we've got to be bigger than the cult of any one personality. We've got to go back to our principles. And President, former President Trump says, Eh, you can't listen to Ray, Ryan. He's been a curse to our party. He has no clue what needs to be done. He was a weak and ineffective leader. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Brian in Appleton. Hi, Brian.
0: Hi, Jeff. How are
2: you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Who's right and who's right and who's wrong? Uh, I think
5: he's a very studious individual. Um, I find it very true that the Republican Party is far larger than one individual, and it will go on well beyond the Trump era. It, It is ironic that we see this parallel going on in Green Bay right now. The Green Bay Packers... Will outlast one
3: individual quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. So it's a remarkable symmetry that one individual thinks they are bigger than either the party or the Green Bay Packers organization.
4: Mm-hmm. No,
2: you know that's an interesting. I mean, that's an interesting analogy. Um, there. There are there are strong personalities that always come through in politics and can help sort of shape and and guide parties. But at the end of the day, it, it typically is about about principles. Now, I admit to being somewhat biased in this because I, I, I remember I remember when Paul Ryan first ran for office, and I, I've said this before, Ryan. Ryan is one of the guys who – he is one of the smartest guys in in any room he walks into. Now, his gift is he doesn't necessarily carry himself like he's the smartest guy in the room, which I I think is a real – I think it's a trait. I know other people who are really smart, but they let you know that they're really smart. And that can kind of be off putting um, 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, Paul Ryan has integrity, which I don't believe Trump has. If voters can't get past Trump, the USA will suffer. Jeff, as usual, Trump lashes out on those who hurt his ego. I say, go, Paul. Um, let's see, Jeff, like him or not. Uh, like his personality or not, I think part of Donald Trump's appeal was his bigger than life personality. To me, Ryan's speech sounded a little bit like sour grapes. He might be a good moral politician, but he doesn't have a personality to get elected in today's world. Well, I, I would be shocked if Paul Ryan decides that he wants to get back involved in, in politics. I think, I, I, my guess is that, Paul Ryan as a political candidate. I don't know that you're going to see that. Jeff, I completely agree with you and Paul Ryan. Unfortunately, um, as apparent today by Republican senators, a lot of this party is still hooked on President Trump. That's referring to the decision not to go ahead with the uh, January 6th con- um, commission. Jeff, I think Paul Ryan is is right, but he was ineffectual as Speaker of the House. Jeff, the obnoxious tone of Trump's reactionary response to the completely dedicated Ryan pretty much proves Ryan's point. Um, end with this wreck it, Ralph sort of approach. Uh, let's see. Let's get some others here. Um, Jeff, Paul Ryan is correct. I'm a lifelong Republican. I just want Trump to go away. Well, Trump's not going to go away. I I think that the challenge for Republicans moving forward is, is how do you, how do you embrace the, the issues that brought people that, that that Donald Trump had that brought people into the party and still, again, grow the party with what I would describe as the more um, with the more traditional values. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, Paul Ryan is correct. After Trump acted, never again would I vote for him. Jeff, I don't even like Paul Ryan, but I think he is. I think he is right. Um, well, okay. eight five five 616 1620 Let's see. Let's start with, uh, we've got uh, Sam in Illinois. Hi, Sam. Good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon, Jeff. Well, George H.W. Bush, Read My Lips, No New Taxes. Mm-hmm. I kind of put Paul Ryan in that same category because he ran around with Mitt Romney repeal and replace Obamacare and then when he got in there he came up with that American Health Act or whatever it was. Was Mm -hmm. nothing what he campaigned on. And that's what started all the troubles. And then he turned around and tried to blame it all on Jim Jordan and the in the Freedom Caucus when they were actually, you know, proposing the same type of healthcare plan, a free market based system where you could design your own plan, put it out for bid, and get what you want that you felt you could afford. And Paul Ryan Suddenly turned his back on that whole idea, and that's what started all the troubles here. I think Trump should have explained himself a little better because I, if I had to guess, that's probably what he was referring to. And you know, he Sam, was Sam. Let me ask you this: do,
2: after- do you think? Do you think? When, when Donald Trump was first elected president, so you have republic so this is two thousand and sixteen you have Republicans that control the Senate, you have Republicans that control the House and one of the big issues that lots of people ran on was the you know replacing Obamacare or whatever. Um, do, do you think Trump missed an opportunity by not really coming out with his own plan? Because it he, he kind of took a hands-off sort of thing, let Congress try to work it out, and then it, it ended up going nowhere. W- was that a failure of leadership well, on Trump's that's part?
5: Right. Well, that's, I, well, Trump just gave paul ryan the football and said here go i'm ready to sign it let's do the repeal and the replace and then paul ryan turned around and came up with his own health care act and it's like "Well, what are you doing here I, this is not what we thought we were going to do and that just drove a wedge through the whole party and then we got nothing out of well, it so we I did, think that's when he refers to the lack of leadership that's what he's referring
2: to well and you and it, you could be right sam i guess i i can't see i i contrast those early the early days of the Trump administration, I contrast that with the early days, say of the Scott Walker administration, where I mean Walker, right or wrong, comes out with Act Ten. Act Ten was Walker's proposal. This is what I want to do. Okay, I am the governor, and you know, Walker rallied the Republican troops and had a united front. But but it was Walker's proposal that people rallied around. Walker didn't say, "Hey, you know, I want to do some major reforms, and I want to try to get union spent government spending under control and things like that." So he he didn't go to the leader of the state senate and he didn't go to the leader of the assembly and say, "Hey, you guys, come up with your own plan." He came up with his plan and, and he pushed it through the one of the things that frustrated me about President Trump was that you know he talked a good game, but when it came to the specifics of governing, it was kind of like well all right, I, i'm going i 'm going to leave the details to other people you guys come out with it well if you ever watch if you watch any lawmaking body i mean it, it's it 's kind of like Again, trying to herd cats, you know, Walker was able to do get Act 10 through because he was a strong leader, not just in terms of the rhetoric. But these are the proposals. And then I'm going to keep I'm going to hold people in line, not you come up with ideas and I'll send you signals on what I like or, or what I don't like. See, bottom line is, I think I think Ryan is right. That you know any political party has to be more than a cult of of one person I, I think he 's right when he he says that, and I think president trump would do would do himself a favor by by recognizing that and and again not being quite as thin-skinned and no I don't think Paul Ryan was a curse to the Republican Party Paul Ryan was a guy that during the years that he was in Congress was one of the people who was leading the charge for balanced budgets and fiscal responsibility I think Ryan did a great job as on uh, as running the House Ways and Means Committee that's he was a numbers cruncher he was smart in that regard was he perhaps mid cast as the speaker of the house of representatives maybe but i don't think he even wanted that job very much he was in a situation where he ended up getting it so um again it's another one of these inter-party feuds that's breaking out not good for the republicans but you know this is going to get played for the next week or two back with more in just a minute jeff the romney ryan ticket had about as much charisma as a fruit fly well, that that may very well be be true. I'm not sure anybody could have beaten Obama that year, but but you know, put put that aside. That that doesn't mean that he's not right when, when he says that. Okay, we, we can't become a cult of personality. I mean, you. That, it, it may very well be that you need somebody with more charisma than than um, than again, uh, you need than Mitt Romney. Although I think you could make a strong argument that, that Joe Biden who is now the president is not the most charismatic guy or around either. But you know, if you have somebody who's got charisma, Bill Clinton had charisma, Ronald Reagan had charisma, um, Barack Obama had charisma. Okay, that's that 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 that's great, but you know, like I say Ronald Reagan, he he had all sorts of policy ideas and Bill Clinton for whatever his flaws and he had many flaws, believe me. I mean, he he had ideas on policy he had a vision of the country same thing is true with barack obama you might disagree with that vision but he had a vision um i don't know i guess charisma is fine and i agree that that many people view donald trump as being this outsized personality having lots of charisma but can't we we have the whole package and i think ryan is saying it, it can't just be charisma there needs to be more there there <laughs> I want to revisit something we talked about a couple weeks ago because I think it's it's to me it is absolutely fascinating that this is going on. The final Jeopardy answer is 28%. 28%. The question is, right, what percentage of homes sold in the first 2 months of this year have sold for more than they were listed? So, in other words, you, you list your house, you say, Hey, I, you know, when, if you're getting ready to sell a house, you, what you typically do is you sit there and you say, Okay, what's the most, what's the mo- most I can get from this house? And, and you never want to, you never want to undervalue it. But at the same time, you want to set a price that's, that's going to attract people. If you set it over a certain limit too high, people just tune out. You're asking $700,000 for this house. Are you on drugs? But, you know, you, you want to make sure you don't, you want you want to make sure you don't cheat yourself. You want to, Find what that sweet spot is, and what historically would happen is you would set the price of your house at what you think was the highest level of what you could get for the house. Well, I, I take five hundred and fifty, but you know I'm 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 going to take a chance. I'm going to I'm going to set it for six hundred thousand, and then I'll, I'll be prepared. Somebody will come in and they'll look at it. And maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll offer me five fifty, but maybe I can get five seventy or five eighty. That that's typically you know how things would work out. In January and February, 28% of the homes, roughly a, a third of homes, sold for above their list price. So the person listed it at 500000 and they didn't have to worry about accepting an offer of four fifty. They got more than they had listed it for, which is absolutely staggering. I mean, 28%. Um, and that's in January and February. If you look at at last year, the entire year at the heart of the pandemic, they say that about twenty percent of homes sold for more than their list price. Like one out of five homes, the people sit down with the realtor and they agree, "Hey, we we think we we'd be thrilled. Let's list it for three hundred grand and see what we can get." And and in that case about one out of every five homes last year sold for more than the list price. And this is something that rarely, rarely ever happens. And the real estate market is showing no signs of of slowing down. And you're seeing, if, if anything, the prices are going up more and more because the supply of homes is sort of limited. Now, there's a couple factors that are going on here. I mean, first of all, new construction costs because of the pandemic, new construction costs are, are through the roof. You know, the, the cost of materials are, are are just up dramatically. There are shortages. It's tough to get stuff. So there, there's fewer home, there's less home construction that, that's on the market. In addition, I think, during the pandemic, you had some people who just decided, okay, we're we're, we're not going to move. We 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 need a bigger house, but you know we're not going to be moving. in the height of COVID and things like that. Now that things are loosening up, there's lots of pent up demand. And on the one hand, it's great if you're if you're a home seller, it, it's a great time. I mean, it, it's just absolutely super. The, the market is is just, you know, you will have in, in some cases. It's not even just getting one off, or as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, one of the trends is you, you know, you put your house on the market. On, on Tuesday. And you say, okay, we're, we're going to accept offers till Saturday. And then Saturday, you sit there and you look at what the best offer is that that's kind of what's going on in a seller's market. And, and that's great for the sellers. The problem, of course, is most sellers have to turn around and then you got to live somewhere. So you got to have somewhere to go. So yes, you sell your house for a stunningly large amount of money, but then you got to buy something else and then you get caught in the situation where now you're not the seller, you're now the buyer and you're competing with all sorts of other people. So the the prices are just going through the roof in a way that I I don't know that we've seen, certainly not in the last couple decades. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you found yourself or are you now in this situation whether you're you're a buyer or or a seller cuz i have to tell you i think there's things that are going on now that are unlike like any time anytime since I have have been a grown-up. The other factor, of course, is that interest rates are staggeringly low. You know, money for financing is staggeringly cheap. I mean, without dating myself, when I I bought my first house in the late 1980s, I mean, we had to take out, I mean, I I think a 30-year mortgage was like 12 or 13 percent, and what we had to do is we had to take out a an adjustable rate loan at a much lower rate, and then hope that uh, prices went down, and that five years before you, you had the um, you had the rate adjustment, and, and thankfully they did. But now you can get a thirty percent loan. Uh, you can get a you can get a thirty year loan if, as my friend Brian Wickard says, you've got the right stuff. You, you can get it for, I mean, less than three percent. I mean, our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have really smart friends in real estate who say there's nothing to worry about. That this, this is, it's not a bubble. It's not like what was going on, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that, that this, is, this is a supply and demand issue, and this is going to be the way things are for, for years. I guess my concern is when you see markets that are this hot, Nothing can go on forever. I guess the question becomes, you know, if the house is objectively speaking in the real world if it's worth 300,000 and people are paying 350 for it, will they come to regret that if the market in fact slows down? Our number 855-616-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Have you been caught or are you caught in this buyer seller sort of conundrum now and Are are prices going to continue to go through the roof? Can a real estate market that is this hot, can it continue to be this hot for the foreseeable future? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I find this to be just such a fascinating thing that's going on now from from people who are looking for their first home to people... Who are looking to um, move up? You know, maybe it's a deal where you know you you bought your starter home, and now you've you got two kids, and you've outgrown that home, and you're looking to move up to people who are considering downsizing. It's just its fascinating, and, and I think you're at a time in the real estate market that I don't remember seeing any time in the last couple decades. It's definitely a seller's market. The question is, is it going to continue? Uh, Jeff, home buying and financing is somewhat as trendy as the stock market. The buying and selling rampage could last until inflation takes a sharper rise, and lending rates as well could turn on a dime again. Well, I mean, that—that that is kind of an issue. Like I said earlier, money is really, really cheap right now. and you can get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage with all the right stuff for less than 3%. Well, if inflation starts to come back and interest rates start to rise... Well, suddenly, uh, a purchase, if the—if it's 6% instead of 3%, it's a lot less uh, attractive. Jeff, I'm concerned that this will turn into a bubble because prices are going to exceed income growth, and when interest rates rise, people will not be able to afford to buy at the inflated prices, and they will inevitably fall. That—that That is one of the concerns when you hear this talk about inflation. Jeff, our son just purchased his first home in Richfield. He had to offer $30,000 dollars over the asking price to get the offer accepted, and th- that is just such an amazing phenomena because. I mean normally when you set the asking price like I was saying earlier you're 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 setting it at the high point boy wouldn't it be great if I could get 499 for this house that that would be just absolutely super so you set it at 499 recognizing that hey somebody might come in and they might offer you 489 or 479 and, and that would be fine but in this case you're you're seeing a huge percentage of these homes Paying more than list value, which I think is—I mean, again, it's great, except that you, you know, you have to, you have to find somewhere else to live once you sell your house. Jeff, we bought a lot last April. Trying to build has been crazy—from the cost of everything to contractors not returning phone calls. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I hear all the time: is that it. There's first of all, the prices of everything have, have gone up. The prices of lumber have gone through the roof. The, because of COVID and factories shutting down and things like that, sometimes a, a lot of, just like with cars, they can't get the chips to make the new cars. Well, there's all sorts of things that you need to, to make, to build a house and they, or they, they can't find them or there's a shortage or they're backlogged or the prices are going up. The question becomes, how long is that going to go on? There's no question in my mind that the, the, the fact that it costs so much right now to build a new home if you can get a contractor to return your call. That's one of the things that is driving also, it's a supply and demand thing. So that's driving the value of uh, single family housing as, as well. So, I mean, I think it's a, an interesting thing. Jeff, for the buyer of a house, if the appraisal comes back way lower than the price of the house, the bank won't loan you the money. So how are people able to still buy at high prices? Well, it, it's not, it, uh, first of all, a lot of people, Especially folks that have some disposable cash, they're they're not even they're not even making a appra- they're they're waiving that appraisal clause. Uh, I mean, it's true that uh, a bank if you buy a house for if, if you make an offer on a house for three hundred thousand and the and the bank comes back and says it's worth 250,000. It's not that the bank's not going to make the loan, it's that they're going to only make a loan based on their appraised value of 250,000. So what that means is you're going to have to come up with more cash somewhere. So the, the and that that's why people who want the houses who are in a position where they have that spare cash that's sitting around, they, they have a little bit more clout when they, they do that. Jeff, some buyers are so flush with cash, they're paying way over asking prices with no inspections and then making, out of the, making the difference out of pocket regardless of what amount they're allowed to finance. Um, yeah. Hey, Jeff, speaking of inflation, my home insurance just went up 20% because of impre- increased replacement cost. Um yeah, I think that, you know, you, you have that stuff going on there as well. It it's just I bring this up because I I've always thought that, that home ownership is the American dream. And and I still believe at the end of the day it, it is. I mean, I, I think people want to own their own home. I think typically homeownership turns out to be great investments i mean one of the one of the best investments i ever made in my life was when we bought our house in 1988 and then when i sold it a couple of years ago i mean we it, we we bought it we it appreciated in value we lived there loved the place for you know decades and all but it, there comes a time when you end up having to move on so i, I think it, it's a great it, it's a great opportunity it's a great time for pick, particularly for people who are, I think, interested in the buy and hold sort of stuff that you're, you're buying a house not with the idea that, gee, we're, we're going to get this and then we're going to try to flip it in a year because you, you don't know what the market's going to be like in a year. But if you get a desirable house, even if you perhaps have to overpay and you're planning to live there for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years, I think people are all right. But this, it's, I bring this up because it, it's just, it is almost unprecedented. And when you see people getting into bidding wars and when you see almost a third of the homes that were sold earlier this year, the first two months of this year being sold for, you know, uh, more than the seller was asking when they started off, that tells you how crazy things are. And I guess you can then decide whether you want to participate in that craziness or not. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, I was in the market for about three months as a buyer looking for a house. After being told I would likely have to overbid by $20,000, waive inspection, and cover the seller's closing costs to have my offer accepted, I've suspended my search and will continue renting an apartment for now. And I think there, there's probably a lot of people Who are in that situation? Matter of fact, I know some people who are interested in in buying, want the first home, but are just in a situation where they're afraid that because of what's going on now, they're going to get in they're going to get into a situation and end up having to grossly overpay. Here's here's something from an industry now. now Who there's many people who benefit from this, and one of the people most directly benefit are real estate brokers, right? Because they make commission based on the the sale price, so the, the more The more somebody spends for a house, the the larger the commission is. Jeff, I'm a real estate broker. Frankly, it's hard to justify what buyers are offering. Sellers can't sell because they have nowhere to go. Um you can't offer on a new home with a sale of home contingency because nobody will take it. You know, you, you, you make an offer on a house saying, well, you know, this deal is contingent on us selling our other house. Well nobody'll take that. That you know, nobody needs to take that. Jeff, I closed on a home today, this is the real estate broker. It was listed at two hundred and fifteen thousand. It sold for two hundred sixty thousand. Yeah, I think especially in the, the sweet spot. Where, you know, you're not talking about the million dollar homes. You're, you're talking about that, that home, you know, that, that arguably would be affordable for some people, that, that $200,000 range. And yeah, $215,000 listed sold for $260,000. One of the scary cautionary tales though, new numbers out today, prices rose 3.6% in April compared to a year ago. And that's, that's inflation. That's, you know, rising rising costs. Now, I understand the Biden administration says this is temporary. It's not here to stay. But the problem is, you know, if, if prices go up, that becomes even more difficult because that means like mortgage rates will go up and things like that and if that happens you 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 will begin to see whether or not this is a real estate bubble hey when we come back we got a lot of stuff to talk about including you want to be able to bet on the ponies or the packers how's that defund the police thing working out and of course pop culture corner don't go anywhere this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex
1: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner
2: Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Every once in a while, you get ideas that are really stupid policy ideas, but they make for good politics. And then every once in a while, you get ideas that are really stupid political statements, but but they, they would be good policy. Every once in a while, you get an idea that's proposed that is both really staggeringly stupid policy and it's stupid politics. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while it does. And over the course of the last year or so in this country and in our community, but in other communities as well, you have been seeing one of those rare occasions where it is just both staggeringly bad politics and staggeringly stupid public policy playing out. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the defund the police movement. As a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I sent out a link to the story, a story that was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that, that really caught my attention about this. We all know that in the aftermath of the the George Floyd killing, there was this movement that started and it was defund the police. And, you know, you had in Madison, you had people talking about how, oh, my gosh, you know, the police are this occupying force. We would be better off without the police until, you know, then the houses start getting burglarized and people start getting shot and people start rethinking this this whole idea. But it was this notion that especially took root among progressive, progressive politicians. Let's defund the police. Now, some people said, well, we didn't really mean defund the police what what we meant is let's take money from the police and let's let's put it into other things well okay you know you say tomato i say tomato but th- this was it was bad politics because in the elections last year i think if you'd look at the the postmortems you will find that a lot of democrats ended up losing In contested areas, look—it's real. It's real easy if you're in a heavily democratic area to start touting the start sort of stuff. But if you're in an area where it's it's close, like maybe fifty-one or fifty-two percent Democrat, forty-eight percent Republican, and you start talking about defunding the police, there is a consequence to that. And I think in most of the postmortems, one of the things Democrat advisors will acknowledge is that you know they lost a lot of seats. Because they became the party of let's defund the police. So it was bad politics. But more importantly than bad politics, I've always argued it's really bad public policy. Because what we have seen happen, particularly in the last year, is we have seen a huge spike in crime, particularly in urban areas. Now, we've talked about this involving what's going on in Milwaukee and, you know, in various capacities that, that last year, was like an all-time high for for homicides and for shootings and for car thefts and for other crimes like that. And this year, we're, we're blowing the doors off the records of those with the shootings and things like that. And it's just, you're getting to a point where, from a livability standpoint, the question is, how do you go to some of these urban areas and leave your car on the street if there's 25 cars being stolen in a given day from the streets of Milwaukee? Things like that. So... It's all a bit, and, and what's going on in Milwaukee, by the way, is is not unique. It's it's consistent with what's going on in New York City, and Baltimore, and Detroit, and Chicago, and you know, Los Angeles. You know, you you name it. this is the problem. Crime is going through the roof, and what a number of these progressive cities who decided we're going to be fashionable, we're going to defund the police. Guess what? Guess what's happening now? They're putting a lot of that money back. Here's a a portion of the story in the Wall Street Journal. One year after the movement to defund law enforcement began to upend municipal budgets, many American cities are, wait for it, restoring money to their police departments or proposing to spend more. In New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio said he would reinstate $90 million um, for a new precinct after scrapping the project last summer. The mayor of Baltimore, who led efforts as a city councilman to cut police budget by $22 million, recently proposed a $27 million increase increase interesting when you're in the city council let's take 22 million dollars away now that you're the mayor and you're responsible for what's going on in the city you want to put 27 million dollars back um, after attacks on Asian Americans and a rise in homicides in Oakland California city lawmakers in April restored 3.3 million of 29 million that they had made in police cuts and the mayor is now proposing to increase the department's budget by 24 million in other words they're, they're putting back almost all the money that they cut because they're starting to recognize that cutting police budgets makes no sense at all, especially at a time where crime is going through the roof. Um, The St. Louis mayor continues, she continues to be somebody who um, has, in fact, proposed cutting the budget. Uh, the St. Louis murder rate is the highest in the United States, and it is continuing to surge. So how's that defunding the police working out? Peggy Noonan has a column out today, and I, I sometimes I agree with her, sometimes I don't, but this one, she nails it. The headline is, defund the police? No, fund them better. Her argument is that rather than cutting police budgets, particularly in the wake of, you know, the allegations of police brutality and things like that. What we really should be doing is the opposite. That is increasing police budgets. Now, hear me out on this. First of all, More cops on the street, because one of the things that we are seeing is with this kind of war on police officers and certain segments of the community that decide they're going to view the police as an occupying force. All that does is embolden the bad guys. So, you know, instead of having fewer officers on the street, you need more officers. But combined with that more officers, what you need to do is you need to invest more money in training. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the deals are for for most police officers, you know, it, it's really it's about four to six months training and it varies a, a little bit. But I think you can make an argument that right now, at this point in time in our nation's history, police officers are more important th- than ever. And yet, you know, training is, is kind of an afterthought Now, for example, this is what she says in her column, the L.A. Police Department provides six months of training for those who qualify. So does Miami. Smaller forces train less. And she goes on to talk about how, you know, there's this training there. What we should really be doing is, is not cutting police budgets and cutting the number of officers. We should be investing more in the community hiring more police officers, but not only doing that, but training them better, giving them more extensive training so that they will be better equipped to deal with some of the situations they deal with on the street. None of which, I mean, disputes the fact that you're going to have bad cops from time to time. There's there's going to be bad cops, and you need to be aggressive in getting those cops off the force. No argument with that. But right now, given what we're seeing with an explosion of crime, you need more cops on the street, not fewer cops on the street. You need to invest more in training the cops that are on the street so they're better prepared to deal with the situations, not figuring out, okay, let's send people who aren't don't have enough experience and let's put them into difficult situations. And then when they don't handle the situation in the appropriate fashion, let's kind of hang them out to dry. So if you want to read more about this, you can follow me on Twitter at Wagner 620 But all this defund the police stuff, no matter how you define it, not working out at all, and I got to tell you, it's one of the least surprising things that are out there. You want to make communities more livable. Forget defunding the police. Finance the police better.
4: <laughs>
2: I think this is really cool news, so we try to get back to normal. I am a huge baseball fan. Big win for the Brewers yesterday. And actually, I, I know... I mean, the Brewers are, fit, are, are a 500 team right now, and I understand that, that it is what it is. I mean, that's the, the record is what kind of team you are. At the same time, given some of the injuries that they've had, given some of the problems they've had, and given the fact that collectively they're not hitting very well, um, to be 500 at this stage, and given some of the teams that they've played and all, I, I, I think... I think it bodes well for the rest of the season. I mean, San Diego is a really, really good team. And and the Brewers... They could easily have won three out of these four games, and, and they ended up splitting. And I there, there's no, I don't think there's any shame in splitting with the San Diego Padres. So I'm I'm kind of excited about this this Brewer season. And I, I think if you're a regular listener, you know I've got one of those twenty packs of tickets, so I go to a number of the games. Um, I, I've been to I want to say four or five games this year. I was out of town for opening day, so I didn't go to opening day. But I, I've gone to a number of the other ones. And on on a selfish perspective. From a selfish perspective, you know, it it's kind of nice to go when there's only like thirty or thirty five percent occupancy or whatever it is because there's there there's two of you sitting in a row and there's nobody, you know, with eight seats on either side of you and there's no wait to go to the bathroom and there's no wait at the concession stands and things like that. So on a very selfish perspective, that's okay. But I love going to I love going to the baseball games when there's a crowd, when everybody's in it. I, I just think that's what makes it fun. Also from the perspective of somebody who wants to see the Brewers organization thrive and survive, you, you know, they, they depend very heavily on concessions and parking and, um, you know, attendance and things like that. And, and you recognize that they, they need to get back to normal very, very soon. You, you need to be playing in front of 35,000, 35 and 40,000 people, you know, to, to make financially to make it worthwhile, which is why this announcement, I think it came out yesterday, that they're going to They're doing a new opening day. June 25th is the first day that the city of Milwaukee is going to allow the brewers to have full capacity. So, you know, you can put 40-plus thousand people in Miller Park starting on June 25th, and they're playing Colorado that day. So what they've decided is we're going to, we're going to bring and this is actually a marketing. I think it's a marketing, just a brilliant marketing move. They're, they're saying, OK, we're going to have a new opening day. They're calling it reopening day 2021. They're moving the game. It's a Friday afternoon. They're moving it from Friday evening to a 310 start that they, they want. To, hey, we're, we're we're restarting this, and so this isn't opening day with 10,000 people or whatever. This is opening day with 40,000 people, and we're going to be doing all these events, and we're going to be bringing back Cecil Cooper and Paul Molitor and stuff. Um, first 10,000 fans get a 1980s-style Brewer's T-shirt. It, it's really kind of a, a restart in the middle of the season. The question, of course, when you do things like this is just because you do it, will people come? our number 855-616-1620 that's the accredited mortgage talk and text line we only got a couple minutes before the bottom of the hour but i guess the, the the big question is are you ready to do things like this if you are in fact a baseball fan and now you hear hey they're they're letting they're they're opening up the gates 40 plus 1000 people standing room only they, that's what we're ready to do will people take advantage of this or are we still COVID cautious? Are we still concerned about this? Are we at a point where we're saying, okay, June 25th, that's that's three and a half, that's four weeks from now, I guess it's four weeks from now to the day, you know, will, will people feel comfortable going back and, and sitting side by side next to people who might be strangers with folks on, you know, behind you and in front of you and, and dealing with the crowds? For me, I've got no problem with it at all. But that's me. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Reopening day 2021. Will they have 40 plus thousand people at the ballpark? My guess is yes. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, 8556161620 that's the acute mortgage talk and text line Yeah, a couple of people say well the, the game on that that day June 25th it says it's going to happen at 7:10 no that that's the whole purpose The the brewers have announced reopening day 2021 that is the the day the first day that you can got, go back to full capacity and they've moved the time from 7:10 to 3:10 in the afternoon cuz they want to give it the feel of a of a season opener so that's the deal I think they're going to have 40 plus thousand people there because I think that, that people, I think that people are over, over COVID in general. I think people feel comfortable getting back uh, to normal and I think you're going to have a huge turnout. And I think that's going to bode well for other events over the course of the summer, most notably, I mean, I think State Fair certainly comes to mind. Jeff, I believe there will be no problem filling American Family Field to capacity. I am ready, and those who uh, don't feel ready can stay home and safe until whatever. And I think there's, there's an element to that. If you don't want to go, don't go. But my guess is there's going to be more than 40,000 people who are ready to go. Um, Jeff? Heck to the yes. People will come in droves. Milwaukee needs this. Uh, Blue Mound bars need the huge win. I cannot wait. Yeah, I mean, you you know, one of the things that I've really missed when I go to the games is they haven't had vendors. They're bringing the vendors back, but they, they haven't they haven't had vendors. You know, I mean, yeah, they've got some people that are working behind the concession stands and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the guys that make their living, you know, going up and down, selling the beer and the cotton candy and the hot dogs and the peanuts and all that stuff. I mean, those, those were people... This was a big chunk of their livelihood and they've lost that livelihood for the last, you know, couple of years. So I, I just, I, I can't wait to see that get back to normal. Jeff, I was um, at the game yesterday for the extra inning win. Um, some great excitement for sure. COVID never entered my mind the whole time I was in the stadium. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that are like that. Um, Jeff, I am definitely going to go. This is from Stephen Westbend. West Bend. I'm ready for 40,000 fans for Brewers games. Jeff, there's no question in my mind that people will, in fact, come. Yeah, I think that that's um, the case as well. Heck yes, Jeff, we're going to be there, and we think other people will be going as well. Th- that's that's the sentiment that's there. I think, especially given the fact that after we've been told for the last year that, you know, vaccinations were the key to getting out of this, and now that you have vaccinations that are available, I think people are, are comfortable with this. I think if they had lifted the capacity limits before before now, people would be back in droves. But by June 25th, no doubt in my mind, that's going to be the hottest ticket in town. I think we're going to be doing some special stuff for reopening day. I um, haven't heard all the details yet, but I sure hope so. Looking forward to it.
1: It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner.
2: Okay, Pop Culture Corner. Let's go into the Memorial Day weekend. Jordan, producing the show today. You know who turned 80 on Monday? You know you know what performer turned 80 on Monday? Okay, I'm just throwing out a random name here. I have
1: no idea, but let's say Chuck Norris.
2: I, I, he could have. I have no idea. Bob Dylan. Bob oh, okay. Dylan. Bob Dylan turned 80. Uh, and again, for... It was just like, wow, that, that just kind of went by in a, a heartbeat. You know, Bob Dylan turned 80. Now, one of the things that I have been trying to do, I, I, I you can probably tell this if you listen to the show, I, I, I love music and um, I love spoken word radio and TV and stuff like that. But I, and one of the things I do consciously is that I, I try, I'm always trying to broaden my musical taste. I'm always trying to listen to some of the new stuff that's out there. And then there's a lot of, performers that I I never really caught the first time around. I'm reading a book right now called Rock Me on the Water, which is about – the la scene in 1974 and it's talking about politics and music and um and movies and tv and things like that it's kind of an interesting pop culture sort of book from from 1974 about 1974 and th- the, for example there'll be a couple music groups that they will refer to and i'm like gee, i kind of heard that group but I, i've never i didn't really never heard their music so what i, I try to do is i try to Expand and broaden my taste. so I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to sample some of this. And you know, with the uh, with all the different streaming, you can you can access all these things. So I'm to a couple. I I try to listen to things that I haven't heard. And again, some of it might be new, might be new stuff that's out, and others might be stuff from performers that I I just really never got into their thing. So I'm I'm trying hard to expand my my musical tastes in in that regard. At the same time, though, I, I always find myself going back to the old Reliables, because, yeah, maybe it's like, okay, I've I've been listening to this, and I, I kind of like the music or whatever, but I, I don't know the names of the songs, and I don't know the words to the songs, and and I find myself going back to the old Reliables. Now, I've never been a, a big Dylan guy for, for whatever reasons. I, I just, I mean, I've I, I have a number of his most popular albums from from his heyday, and he's been a very prolific performer. And I, I don't have a lot of his newer stuff. I saw him once or twice in concert, and I've always been disappointed with his concert performance. But that doesn't matter. But I mean, Bob Dylan, for a lot of people, is the soundtrack of, of people's lives. I, I get it, and I know for some people, for example, that Bob Dylan, that that's it. He, he's their he's their go to person. You know, for you know, you know, may, might be listening to other stuff, but at the end of the day, it's like okay, I'm trying to decide what record to put on the turntable. I'm trying to decide what music to stream. And, you know, m- maybe Dylan is, is your is your guy. I thought, let's have a musical-related pop culture corner for this Friday as we go into the long weekend. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Iconet Mortgage talk and text line. When it comes to listening to music, here's my question. He, who is your go-to? You know, he, she, they... Are my go-to, and and in this category, I, I know that there's all sorts of musicians and bands and performers that that you like. I, I get it. We we all have that. But at the end of the day, there's always somebody, I think for most of it at least, there's that performer that we kind of fall back on. And, and maybe you recognize they're they're not the, the best. This isn't the best band ever, but it, it's been my band. It's my go-to. It's the people that I grew up with or the performer that I grew up with. So Pop Culture Corner for Memorial Day Friday, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who's your go-to? He, she, they? They're my go-to when it comes to music. Um, as I always say during these segments, I encourage people to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as possible. And do not overthink. Sometimes I find people just kind of ah, gee, I, this is who came to mind, but I don't want to sound dumb if I say that. Hey, if the monkeys are your go-to, that's cool with it. That's what the pro- <laughs> that's what makes it fun. Who's your go-to? when it comes to music 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line this is jeff
1: wagner's pop culture corner now back to take your calls here's jeff wagner
2: 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, Bob Dylan turned 80 this week. And for, for some people, you know, Dylan Dylan is the go-to. He's the soundtrack of, of their lives. We all like a wide variety of music. As I was saying, I'm trying to expand my horizons. But I admit at the end of the day, I, I find myself going back to, you know, there, there's always somebody that we go back to. And, and who's your go-to? Let's start with uh, Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey Jeff, Hi, I think I'm honored to say I have been in love with Neil Young since I was 12 years old, and I've loved every iteration of him from Buffalo Springfield, Crazy Horse, um, CSNN, everything, and, um, and probably have been to over 20 concerts of his
2: really Walked out of a couple of them also yeah well i was going to say neil neil young is i think kind of an acquired taste i i like um what was his his first big album that really took off after the gold rush i think mm-hmm. i i, I like that one a lot Yes, um, that was it yeah some, some no, of the, i got to
4: admit. Go ahead.
2: S- some of the newer stuff kind of leaves me cold, but I, but that, I, yeah, that, 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 that iteration of Neil Young, I, I like quite a bit. I had no question about it.
4: Couldn't agree more. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Well, Neil Young would be, Neil, actually he's, they they talk about him in this book I'm reading about Los Angeles in 1974 and because uh, he was you know of course a part of Crosby Stills Nash and, and Young and how the band got formed and stuff and he was uh, I think he was he, he was and is a difficult personality but that doesn't mean he's not talented Charlie and Lac. Charlie who's your go to ZZ Top oh, same three guys same three chords for like 40 years right
5: Yep yep yeah I mean it's they they. I've always wanted to go to him, and back in uh, 96, me and my youngest brother, we uh, we went to see him down at the Rave in Milwaukee. Right. We were able to get tickets. That was one of those concerts that was added into the schedule. Right. Because on right. the t-shirts for that year, Milwaukee isn't on the t-shirt, but their concert was added in. But, yeah, it it was a great time.
2: You know, the the, the great thing, and I'm a big ZZ Top fan as well, and I I, I say that that same three guys, same three chords affectionately because that's what they say. You know, and it's just... But it's, it, they're, they're somebody that has reinvented themselves. I mean, they, they've been, they, these guys have been playing together for, for decades. And, you know, they, they've gone through, I mean, it's kind of that, that bluesy sort of music. But then you've got a lot of the, the crowd pleasing things as well. It's just, I, 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 really appreciate longevity. And I can certainly understand why ZZ Top would be one of your go-tos. Okay. Let's talk to, uh, John and Muskego. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Your go-to is? The band Fish, Vermont's finest. <laughs> okay. Well, um, the, the thing about Fish is, you know, it's always kind of different. You know, you, you got the jam band thing going on there. The tunes are always a little bit different, but they're incredibly creative.
5: Well, when they did 13 sold out night at Madison Square Garden, played 237 songs, and did not do one repeat the whole run, yeah, <laughs> that's why you go to fish shows.
2: Yeah, you never know what you're going to find. Thanks. That's why people used to love the, the Grateful Dead and the Jerry when Jerry Garcia was alive, because it, it was always going to be it was always going to be different, and and you never knew what the show was going to be. You never knew what the song list was going to be. Interestingly, the, the contrast to that of, of all things, Leonard Skinner, Leonard Skinner, they 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 played every song the same way. Concerts. I mean, and they, they worked on that. That was it. Even like, like things like Freebird. I mean, Freebird was not this improvised thing. Freebird was, hey, we're, we're going to play this, and we're going to play it the same way all the time. Um, let me get, I'll go back to the phones in just a second. Let's see, uh, Genesis, um, you've got that. Uh, let's see, Black Oak, Arkansas, um, kind of, they have a cult following. Um, there's that, Jeff, for me, it tends to rotate from Little Feet to the Eagles, um to um John Prine to Emmy Lou Harris to Fleetwood Mac and to Tom Petty I couldn't take just one album to that desert island Tom Petty it would be uh, I'm a huge fan of John Prine, so love that. Tom Petty. Tom Petty's not my go-to, but would definitely be in my top five. Incredible, um, just incredible song uh, songbook that they have. Uh, from when I really started listening to music in the early '70s, my go-to is War. Okay, there you go, Jeff. Musical go-to: Van Morrison. Brown-Eyed Girl, Can't Go Wrong With That, Moon Dance, John Prine and Elton John. If, by the way, you've never heard John Prine, do yourself a favor. He passed away last year, but um, it's just it's just an incredible, the singing mailman from um, Maywood, Illinois. Just a great, great tunes. I got tur- turned on to John Prine's music in 1975, and um, I remember to this day where I was when I first heard him. Let's talk to Al in Wales. Hi, Al. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. There's so many, so many go-to bands, you know, like I, I just heard your guy talk about ZZ Top. Right. I love them. Uh, the Eagles are my really go-to band. Right. But I want to tell you an interesting story. You were talking about Bob Dylan and it reminds me of a very interesting story, Jeff. I was playing, uh, I was at Wisconsin playing football. We we're at a meal table. Some guy says I got two tickets to some guy named Robert Zimmerman. He's playing at the Orpheum <laughs> today. I don't know anything about him, yeah. so I took my girlfriend. We sat in the front row, and you know his name, don't you?
2: Bob Dylan. That's Bob. Bob right. Bob he was Dillon. originally from somewhere in Minnesota, right? That was that Robert yeah, Zimmerman was yeah. Bob Dylan before he was Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Was it a good show?
3: Oh yeah, we loved it. It okay. was so new. Yeah, his music was so new. You know. uh, the, the beatles were coming in then and
2: yeah.
3: stuff like that but we i still love bob dylan
2: oh no thanks to call no no doubt about it it's it's um again bob dylan was a little bit before my time and so i mean i, I have appreciation for the music but I, I i'm a little bit young for for like dylan in his, his absolute heyday um let's see we've got uh tom and nishkora hi tom you're on wtmj Hello. Hello.
3: Yeah, my go-to is Led Zeppelin. All right. <laughs> I,
2: yeah. You, you <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you. So you go. You go back. I mean, you. You. You've been a. You've been a Zeppelin fan since the seventies or something. I would imagine then, huh?
3: Oh God, yeah, yeah. I there, like, like a lot of your calls. There, there's too many really to pick from. But it's funny when you first started talking about you know what you're going to do on the Culture Corner. First, a Led Zeppelin song popped into my head. <laughs> be, okay. oh, what, what, you, you said go for your first instinct, and that, that was it. It happened to be uh, what's your favorite a song album called? Uh, oh boy, my favorite album, possibly Houses of the Holy.
2: Okay. Okay got, okay, got it. it.
3: No, I, really good, well, understood. The of the is on that album, but no. I thanks mean, for calling. No, I know. got.
2: I'll link it I, I, let me get to a couple more. I appreciate it coming to the clock, Jeff. I was born in nineteen seventy nine. My go to band is Aerosmith. Timeless, great music, great performers. Um, somebody else says um, ACDC. Um, you shook me all night long. Pink Floyd, first cassette I ever owned. I keep going back to that. Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner would be in my. Um, in my top five list as well, along with Tom Petty, um, way before my time, I'm 41, but Pink Floyd. That's Cliff in Hartford. Uh, let's see. Mike in Belgium says my go tos, Boston Sticks, Rush and Molly Hatchett. OK, Molly Hatchett, kind of a headbanger. Um, Jeff, I, my go to is Chicago. I saw them at Summerfest in 1970. They were absolutely tremendous. Eric Clapton, without a doubt. Uh, More currently, Little Big Town, my go-to all the time. Lou says the late Chris um, Cornell former frontman from Soundgarden and Audio Slave. John in Burlington, says John Prine, who we sadly lost just after a year ago. Uh, a lot of people go back. John Prine, again, great, just an incredible talent. Grateful Dead. Yeah, you got the Grateful Dead. Um, my go-tos would be tied between uh, Bob Dylan, his Blood on the Tracks album, or the Beatles. Can't go wrong with any of those. John Mellencamp, when I have a bad day, I spin his album Scarecrow, and all is well. That's the whole purpose of this? Carly Simon, yeah, um, you're so vain. Several people saying Elvis. Our first texter said Michael Jackson was their go-to. All interesting. For me, I, I'd have Tom Petty on on there. There's no question about it. Um, Leonard Skinner would be on there. I think it's it's no secret. I think my 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 number one go to eh, it's Jimmy Buffett. At the end of the day, I just got all the records, know all the songs, and I, I'm I'm trying to expand my my musical horizons. I'm listening to all sorts of different stuff. But it's, you know, I'm I'm going to put on the A1A album, or I'm going to put on the Florida Days album, or I'm going to put on some of the live concerts, and it just, it kind of makes me feel better. So for me, my go-to is Buffett, but whatever your go-to is, if you can carve out some time this Memorial Day weekend, go to the person. You won't be sorry.